Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could explain this to someone else, but maybe there's a few things that I want explained back to me. I'll be sitting down with authors, thought leaders, visionaries. I'm your host, Josh Lipstone. This is Explain This Book to Me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Josh Lipstone, and this is Explain This Book to Me. Today is book two, episode five, and I am joined today by the author of The Extra Two Minutes, David Carruthers. Welcome back to the podcast, David. How are you today? I'm good, man. What's going on? Just another day in paradise here in uh, North Carolina. We survived a hurricane last week and an earthquake over the weekend. So, you know, Florida, hold our beer. Well, yeah. I mean, all you need is a wildfire and you'll have the trifecta. Exactly. Exactly. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. So now for those of you who have not listened to the first four episodes of this book, hit pause, go download them, listen to them, come back to this episode. And for those of you keeping score at home, we are recording this on Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. Now, David, would you mind sharing your contact information for the loyal readers who are interested in potentially joining Killing Commercial? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is to go visit killingcommercial.com. There's a lot of information on that website. Uh, There's some videos you can watch that will teach you more about the program itself. There's also a way for you to schedule time directly on my calendar to speak with me. And we also host our blog there as well as the power producers podcast. So if you're looking for a one, one stop shop to learn as much about me as possible, that's probably the best place to go. And again, that's killingcommercial.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So let's go ahead and get into the next section of the book, which is setting appointments. And we start with chapter nine. So chapter nine, booking the appointment. So the first sentence that you write in this chapter may have been written by me or the majority of salespeople out there because you write, telemarketing may be the worst thing ever. And the second worst thing would be to give up carbs because I love pasta. (laughs) Uh, But you go on to write that it's a necessary evil. And if the salesperson wants to be a five-tool player, then they have to do this. So the first recommendation you write about is setting realistic expectations. And this is because even the best telemarketers out there, they have a 5% success rate, which is one out of 20 phone calls. Now, this may be daunting, but that makes that one phone call that much sweeter when it actually goes through and goes well. So you go on to write about having a script when you're making the phone call. We talked about that in the last episode and how there are different schools of thoughts on this. So the first is to have a written script to read from. But opponents of this say that it may sound choppy, unprofessional. And the second is to do it natural style. But the glaring issue with that is the majority of salespeople are not natural on the phone. And so what you recommend is your preferred method is bullet points because they give you a brand level of consistency and clarity. This way you and your team are able to stay on task, promote the same consistent brand, but allow them to add their personality to it. 
So this type of bullet point scripts allows you to hold your, your team accountable. You're able to listen to their calls and you can see if they're following the script. And if they aren't, you can point out how they can improve so they can hit their numbers. Now to put you on the spot, David, with <laughs> a question to answer for the loyal readers. What are some bullet points that they can use when they call on a prospect to discuss workers' compensation? So what are like two or three points that you generally bring up in that conversation when you have it with the prospect? Yeah, so the answer to this question is really kind of twofold, man, because, again, okay. we're going back to what I would call pre-VOS and post-VOS. Um, Pre-VOS, okay. we would want to talk to them specifically about their experience mod, um, because a lot of the times when we're calling, it's because we have gone to the risk workstation on MCCI's website and we have looked at their mod, or if we haven't actually pulled it to look at it, we've at least signed up for notifications uh, as to when the mod changes. And we've gotten a notification that their new mod has dropped. And our goal is to call them before they hear about their new mod from their incumbent agent. So we want to get in there first. So an opening may be, hey, I just want to touch base with you. This is hot off the presses. I know you weren't expecting my call. I really appreciate you taking it. I promise I'll be brief, but I've got your new experience mod in hand. Do you have just a second to talk about it? And so that that would be something that we would normally do. And then depending on how that dialogue went, we would get into, you know, what do you think are the biggest contributing factors? Do it's just some fact-finding stuff. I mean, you don't want to get into a point where you're having a full-blown phone conversation. And, okay. you know, one of the things that I've learned, and, and I mean, I'll include this in the next book that I write, should that, you know, that will happen. I've already announced it, but it, it will happen. Um, but I really, really like the conciseness of what Voss talks about. And we so what we've done now is we have changed our script completely and moved toward getting to know, you know, and I don't remember in, I, I talk about this so much. I don't remember if we've already talked about it or not on this uh, podcast, but mm -hmm. ju just to give everybody a, just a quick, quick rundown in case they missed it or in case we didn't talk about it. Subconsciously, the human brain feels in control if they say the word no. So okay. we have in, talked about this. Yep. Yeah. And so our new model is to allow that person on the other end to feel in control of the conversation. So a conversation, instead of me calling up and saying, hey, your experience mod just came out. Have you seen it yet? Or something along those lines. It's more open ended. I want to funnel them over to saying no. So my question would be reformatted. At this point, if I get the notification that the mod has dropped, I will automatically have gone in and pulled the mod. So I know what it is. So let's just say for practical purposes, their mod is going to be a 1.5. Okay. Okay. So I would start the conversation out with, Hey, this is David with Florida risk partners. I know you weren't expecting my call. So I promise to be brief. I had a quick question for you. Are you happy that you're paying at least 50% more than the other people in your peer group for your workers' compensation insurance? No. And in the last three to five years, have you had a company come in that did a comprehensive experience mod audit to show you where that money is leaking from your financial statements as a result of your workers' comp? No. Because you're spending at least 50% more than your peer group for your workers' comp insurance, and you've not had anybody come in 
to do a comp audit over the course of the last three to five years, wouldn't you agree that it would make sense to spend 20 to 30 minutes talking about how we come in and do that and use our software to triangulate the money that's leaking from your financial statements? Yes. And there, there you have it. No, no, yes. So I like the two no's. You can, I could have probably pivoted and gotten to the yes right out of the box because if I hit him with the mod that's going to be at the 1-5, Mm-hmm. They're going to have some emotion evolved in that. So I may be able to get them to go for the meeting. I really like the two no's to the yes, because if I can get a second no, it, it gives them more confidence that they're controlling the conversation. And so I'm in a situation at that point where, um, you know, we've really I, like everybody I've gotten the two no's to the yes I've booked for us. The, the issue, you know, when we it, let me explain something. When I say everybody I've gotten two no's to the yes, I've, I've gotten time with. Please understand that doesn't include all the people that hang up before you ever get an opportunity <laughs> to say anything. Right? So I don't want yeah. people thinking that you know I'm I'm trying to be out here saying we're a hundred percent across the board. You know we book every appointment on every person we call. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that of the people we talk to and we get them down the two two nose to the to the two nose, we get the yes every time because the logic behind that methodology is you can't answer the first two questions no. And then answer the third question, though. Like, right. if, if you're not happy that you're paying 50% or more and you are you haven't had anybody come in to do the mod audit, how are you going to say, no, it doesn't make sense to have somebody to, to talk to you for 20 or 30 minutes? So it's a way to let them feel in control of the conversation while manipulating them into the exact position you want them to be in when you go for the, the appointment. Well, it sounds like people need to go to college to study psychology if they want to be a good salesperson it would not be a bad idea yeah definitely well that is some good stuff and great stuff for the loyal readers to be able to use when they make that call and yeah flipping the script you you always have been taught you don't want to hear no you want to get a yes as quick as possible but i like the the setup the two no's to the one yes all right so that is going the scripted route now However, you do write that you can go without a script, and this would be for an agency or a firm that is looking for a specific type of client experience where you have high touches with the prospect, but the salesperson needs to be highly skilled skilled in order for this to be effective. Another reason you write to consider going without a script is because it gives the salesperson more autonomy and they don't feel like they're regurgitating the same information over and over. And for the loyal readers, when David was going through and asking those questions and I was saying, no, no, yes, he wasn't reading those. That was just David. So just a a testament to his consistency. All right. So getting back. So you then uh, continue to remind uh, the loyal readers not to sound like a salesperson. And one of the things that you've said multiple times, not only on this podcast, but in other settings, When you engage with the prospect in the first meeting, you tell them, I am not here to sell you a product. I am here to help you solve a problem. And this is how you go from being a salesperson to a risk advisor, if it's okay to put that type of label onto you. Um, You then write about how you make sure to ask open-ended questions after those first three, but you don't necessarily start with the open-ended questions. So you ask them, and we just went over this. So you ask them the no Um, And in the example um, in the book, you talk about paying 37% more than the peer group and then going through that whole thing. So 
we already jumped ahead a little bit in the book. Um, now, you finish up the chapter by writing about having a list of standard questions and anticipating rejection. So the salesperson should have a standard list of questions. They have to ask all prospects and be able to anticipate the type of responses and the type of rejection that they'll receive. So this should be something that they should be role-playing with other people in their company. And here's a classic rejection response. And I want to know, how would you answer it? So I have been with my current provider for six years. How is that something, or how would you respond to that type of rejection? Okay, so first off, you are really putting me on the spot today, man. I like, know. <laughs> as if I, I'm just waiting for the one question that's actually going to catch me off guard, like that I haven't been using for 20 years. But Right. Well, um, I, I assume, you know, if it's in the book, you, you probably not only read your book, you know, 50 times, but you probably had to write it, you know, 30 plus times. So I, yeah, I, it's, I've got, uh, faith. I've got yeah. faith in you. People, what you just witnessed there was how, how a salesperson buys themselves time to answer a question that they, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I use, I have a canned response that I use to that every single time. And when, so, and I usually, honestly, this is universal for just about any kind of rejection that you might get. Um, but I like to just go back to, you know, if you say, hey, look, I've been with um, the same agent for X number of years, whatever else, my immediate response is, you know what, I understand and appreciate that. You sound exactly like the last five or six accounts that we have welcomed to our firm's family. And in fact, I really appreciate your loyalty because my goal is to have loyal clients in my book of business too. And I respect the fact that that's your first line of defense. What I'm going to tell you is when we brought those five or six other accounts on, they felt comfortable in the longevity of the relationship. But as we began to talk more and more, they realized they were spending money for something they just weren't getting. There you go. Now, I do have another one that you talk about in the book that I need some help with. And that is the objection where they say, we shop every year and we always have the best price. So for me, the struggle is not necessarily overcoming the best price, but how to be comfortable with trying to talk to a prospect to where they shop their insurance every single year, you know, whether they say it's for the best price price, but they say we shop the insurance every single year. Is this the type of prospect that I should go after, the loyal reader should go after? Or is that kind of like, do you have any things that are just like, if someone says this, I pretty much know that it's not the type of client that Florida Risk Partners wants to work with. Yeah. So there's two different ways that you look at this. The first one is um, I don't ever want to look a gift horse in the mouth. So if I'm on the phone with somebody or I'm meeting with somebody and that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth, I want to continue the meeting because I want to have the opportunity to educate them about how we do business uh, so that maybe I have the ability to change their mind because nobody else has come in and explained to that to them before. Uh, the second piece of it is that I could hear that and just say, mm, I'm going to cut bait and move on. You know, this is obviously a price shopper. I don't want anything to do with them, blah, 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 blah. And if you were to post this out on the internet, you would have plenty of agents who would say, oh, no, cut bait and run, blah, blah. I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in that. I mean, I know who my ideal prospects and everything are, mm -hmm. um, but I do want to give them one opportunity to be able to show me that it, I should continue the conversation. And, you know, I don't mean that to sound like I'm blessing them with time, you know, to talk to them. But they need to show me why it's worth my time. I think that a lot of times as agents or any salesperson that's out there, 
we don't ever take the time to quantify what we're working for. You know, what hourly rate am I willing to work for? And so they, they keep beating and beating and beating. And I had a conversation with a guy that I do some mentoring work with a couple of weeks ago. And he kept talking about these six accounts that he had and how awesome they were and how big they were. And I'd ask him, how many have you closed? And he, and he said, well, well, none of them. And I said, so how many hours have you spent on it? And he, he said, well, I'm not 100% sure. I said, so your homework between now and next week when we talk is I want you to allocate, show me how many hours you spend for each of these accounts and then divide it by the amount of revenue that you've gotten so we know your hourly rate. And he goes, okay, I'll do that. I said, dude, you don't even have to take a week. You already told me you don't make any revenue because you haven't closed anything. So you're working for $0 an hour. You know, you right. don't have any potential here. So what I like to do when I get that response of, oh, well, we shop it every year and we always end up with the best price is I'll typically take a step back and say, listen, I owe you an apology and it's not just for me, but it's for my entire industry. My, my peer group, unfortunately, has conditioned you to do this. And that's really not the best way to go about it. Now, hear me out for a second. I don't, I mean, no offense by what I'm saying, but I want you to understand that you do have a reputation in the insurance marketplace. And if you're going to market every single year and you're moving your account around based on what that price is, um, you know, that's not good. You're not building longevity in a relationship with a carrier that's going to be there for you in the event that you have a claim or you might need them. The other thing that happens is if you go, depending on who your agent is, if you go to market every year, you got 20 underwriters that are working on your account, 19 of them lose. That doesn't help your place in the in your position in the marketplace. But really what I owe you the biggest apology for is the fact that you are so conditioned about your risk management function being an equivalent to your insurance premium that I don't know that I can even explain total cost of risk well enough to make you consider it. You know, but what I will tell you is experience tells me that even though you have a great premium, that doesn't mean that's how much you're spending on your total cost of risk. There are plenty of other factors that go into that and it's hard dollars you're spending and if you're going to go through the annual bid out your insurance process, you're probably never going to really be able to drill down and maximize your profit. Well, I will be studying that over and over so that I have that down when that comes up. So thank you so much for that. And with that, it brings us to the extra two minutes for chapter nine, which in it, you recommend creating and then studying a flow chart that outlines each call. So you map out the rejection so that you can easily overcome it. So do you have a specific program um, that you use for this or are you creating one with machine learning or did I just spoil something and that needs to be edited out of the episode? So No, we're good, man. No, okay, um, good. we do. Uh, I just I do everything um, for those flow charts in Publisher or draw IO, depending on which one. Okay. So I just like to have graphics. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even if it's just something that somebody can study quick before they get on the phone, it's not like you want to be on the phone like, oh, man, I just said this. So now I have to and then like trace your finger down. Oh, now I need to go over it. This is the next thing that I have to answer. It's really more conceptual for them to be able to uh, just have an idea of what the pivots are. At this point in my career, I don't even use it, to be honest with you. I don't need it because I, I've been calling in on people long enough to know the pivots. But we um, we do actually give away a, a sample copy if I'm if I'm not mistaken I think in that that's what the call to action was yep. it, you can get a copy of the flowchart that we we use yes you can very good well then that leads us into chapter ten which is confirming 
appointments. So when I first read this chapter, I briefly looked at it and I saw that it was only a few pages, which made me wonder how much importance um, do we need to place on it because of the, the length. Then I read the third sentence again and said, before you pass judgment, this is common sense. Realize that there is a right way to do this. And then I remembered I should never question you. So, <laughs> so what you write about in this chapter is what I would have thought would have been part of the extra two minutes for this chapter, because I felt that this overall was just an extra two minutes. But of course, you take it to the next level in that part, and we'll get to that in just a moment. So what you recommend is that the loyal reader think about sending more than a calendar invite. You ask them, you know, what do you include? What else can you um, do to confirm the appointment and what will set you apart from others. So you recommend that the salesperson includes the meeting agenda in the calendar invite and you provide bullet points and then ask the person receiving it for feedback. So you find out if there's something that they want to discuss that's not part of the meeting agenda or maybe there's something that is there that they don't want to discuss. So not only does this help you with the current appointment, but then also in the future to be able to know what are some of the things that these prospects that I'm going after, they do or do not want to actually discuss. Now, here's the first question for this chapter. And I'll and tell you what, real quick, just sure. something to say. I mean, using what you said, um, the sentence that you read was before you pass judgment, thinking this is common sense, realize there is a right way to do this. And the very next sentence is, then there is the way most salespeople do it. Okay. So the whole reason we're doing this Yes, it's good for you. Yes, it gets you intel. But at the very, if I just wanted to give you the 10,000 foot overview in the surface level, the reason I do this is because nobody else does. These prospects aren't getting agendas uh, sent to them. That this is what we're going to talk about. Showing what? Showing A, you've done your research to know the things that are probably need to come up in conversation. B, you do value and respect their time, so you don't want to waste it. You want to make sure that the meeting has rules around it. And three, that you value their feedback and opinion because you're asking them to strike anything they don't think is important or add anything that is. And if you, you know, just the fact that you go through the action to do that, I can promise you, I've had so many people over the course of the last 20 years that have come back to me and said, Nobody's ever sent me a meeting agenda before. It was kind of refreshing to know what we were going to be talking about when we came into the meeting. And at the end of the meeting, he's like, wow, I was refreshed. You sent me the agenda. I'm even more refreshed that you actually followed it. You know, so. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him, I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed, let's do it. And that's what we did. 
We flew to Columbia, we saw his operation, and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at Virtual Intel, that's with two L's, that's virtualintell.com. Go check us out, see what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology, delivered right into your agency, and you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just, there's so much stuff, I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel, cast certified. It's uh, it's good stuff, man. And I mean, it's just oh, that yeah. one, one little thing that you can do that nobody else is doing, and it takes no extra effort. You should already be sending the meeting request anyhow, right? The, the appointment right. on the calendar. Why not include some comments in there? I mean, the other thing I don't know if I talk about it in the book because I don't get as deep in the book is what I do um, in Killing Commercial. But I also like to send you know information about who I am and what what I'm all about in my agency is part of the uh, preparation for that. I want them to know who it is. I want them to go to my LinkedIn profile because I want them to see who else I'm connected to. I want them to stalk me on Facebook to see if I'm personal friends with anybody that they're friends with. All of that stuff starts because the one thing I know is this, every prospect that you're going to talk to, regardless of who they are, regardless of what your industry is, is going to do research about you as the salesperson prior to meeting with them. Why not make it as easy as possible for them to do that research? That makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, I, I've never, I've never sent a meeting agenda. I've never thought about it, but yeah, I mean, someone you go meet with someone and they have no clue other than, Hey, there's some insurance guy that's coming to talk to me and we're going to talk about insurance, but they don't well, actually take it another control. step back. Maybe yeah. I get into the, maybe I have total cost of risk calculation is a bullet point. Maybe indirect cost of claims is a bullet point. Maybe um, return to work program. None of that has the word insurance anywhere in there. So if you have your bullet points arranged in what you want to talk about that ultimately affects the cost of what they're paying on insurance, but doesn't directly say the word or correlate to it, guess what? They also will come in like, this is going to be a completely different meeting than any of yeah. the other ones I've had. That makes perfect sense. Well, getting back to my first question, and this could be part of the meeting agenda, and that's what I wanted to ask is requesting information ahead of time. So do you request things like copies of policies, loss runs, et cetera, after they confirm the appointment or as part of the calendar invite or as a separate email? Um, I don't know what something else would be, but, you know, the timing, how does the timing work with requesting other information ahead of time or at one, some point? Yeah. So I don't want them to have to do any more work than they absolutely have to do to meet with me. This is not me going to close the deal. This is me going to sit down, have the first appointment with them, walk through yeah. who we are, what we do and all of that stuff. I want them to have the option to send me some stuff if it's convenient for them to do it. So for example, I may put in the meeting agenda. And by the way, one of the things we're going to talk about is your experience modification, modification factor and your losses. If convenient, please feel free to when you reply back to the agenda to shoot me over currently valued loss runs and a copy of your experience mod worksheet. If you don't have time to do it, it's no biggie. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. I don't need that stuff to carry the meeting. If they give me that stuff, we will close the deal on the first meeting. 
because then it will allow me to be able to do the mod audit and all of the other stuff that we do in, in drive the wedge much, much quicker. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to beat on them to send that to me up front. If they do, great. If they don't, it's not a big deal. Okay. And as far as copies of policies go, I really don't care. I know that a lot of people out there in the insurance world want to have copies of current policies so they can, you know, apples to apples or whatever else they're going to say. Those people are operating in a price-driven commodity environment. They're not they're not doing what they need to do. I tell people all the time. I actually have people ask me, "Do you want copies of what I currently have?" And I'll say, "Look, if you want me to review what you have, I'm more than happy to do it, but I don't necessarily need it to do my job. I quit cheating off of people's work, you know, back in junior high or whatever. I don't need to look at somebody else's work. And by the way, I don't even know that it's right. So it wouldn't really do me any good. I need to go through the own, my own fact finding, uh, process. So since you do pretty much take all out over all accounts on an AOR, does that mean that you just go through the policy after the fact when you close it to update it as needed, or you just go you know, brand new and you say, all right, we're going to go over everything and I'll just update the policy and we're not going to really look at what was done in the past. So if we take something over on an agent or record letter, um, what you just described would hinge on me actually leaving the the policy with that carrier. There's a good likelihood I'm going to move it to somebody else. But if I were to leave it with them, typically, um, you know, we'll get the agent or record letter signed. We need them to give us the copies of the policy at that point because we don't want to assume any risk that we otherwise wouldn't have had by not knowing what's in there. We have the time for the rescission period to get through and do the policy review and all of that stuff because we know we've got at least five days of cooling off before they're going to officially recognize us as the agent of record uh you know, based on us tendering that letter. And it could be longer. Some people make you wait 10. Mm-hmm. But we once we get that letter signed, the very next step is for us to get the information we need to review that stuff. Specifically, if it's in um, not we're not going into a renewal time period, right? If we're going if we're in the middle of a year and we're doing a midterm AOR, that's even more important than it is is you're going through renewal because you may end up having to live with that for another four or five months. Okay. All right. Good to know. So getting to the extra two minutes for this chapter, and you mentioned a few things um, just a moment ago, but for you, you add something that you're a big proponent of and that we've discussed numerous times, which is video. So the video that you recommend is keeping it less than a minute, include your name, company name, thank them for meeting with you, acknowledge how valuable their time is, that you're looking forward to meeting with them. And if, again, if there's anything else they want to add to the agenda to let you know. So what I'm struggling to understand is how you actually do this from the perspective of when is it sent and how is it sent? Do you send them this after they accepted the calendar invite and you send them a regular email that has an image that's a clickable link to the video and for the videos is something that you create through like Loom and it doesn't actually live on your website. So when you're using video to send to them before the meeting to confirm, how's that done? Uh, usually it is done through my cell phone and then uploaded. We edit it obviously. And then it goes into Vimeo because I can control privacy and things there. I don't want it. Um, I, I could use loom if I was going to, but because it's already being done on my cell phone and I'm not necessarily sharing my screen or anything, mm-hmm. there's no reason for me to sit and use my webcam. So 
usually cell phone uploaded to Vimeo. And then in order, you know, you can't, unless you have an email service like a bomb bomb or something like that, that has video integration in it, you're typically not able to send video through as an embed into an email. So I'll find a thumbnail and I'll put the arrow on there so that it looks like it's the play button. Then when they hit that on the static image that's in the email, it'll redirect them to the Vimeo, the private Vimeo link with that video. Okay, so it's a it's it's a separate email, um, or is it part of the calendar invite? Yeah, I, I misspoke and said email, but it would be in the calendar okay. invite because right. there are, there, I want to get everything in the body of that one thing that I can. Okay, all right, well, good to know. Well, then that leads us into chapter eleven, which is the final section uh, chapter of this section. So. This is preparing for the appointment. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed reading this chapter because there's so much goodness in it that the loyal readers can implement right away in their agency or business. So you begin this chapter by writing about how important it is to be prepared for the appointment and how this is the time to role play with your team members. And as comfortable as you may feel, it's something that needs to be done. And if you're truly uncomfortable with people in your office, then try to find someone in your industry that may be in another state, another you know part of the country that you could role play with. So you write that you begin the process by going deep into the prospect social media. And to me, fingers crossed that all their accounts aren't private. Um, what I want to know, when you begin this process, do you friend them? Do you follow them or request to connect at this point? Or have you already done that or do you not do it at all? No, I wait until they're my client to connect with them on Facebook. LinkedIn, I may reach out ahead of time. Um, but most of the time, I'm just doing it to gather information. Unless they've got their profiles you know, locked up under lock and key, um, it's not really hard to get information. I, I want to see photos. I want to see things they're doing that, you know, they do as a family or for recreation or whatever else, because it helps me develop talking points for when I'm in the actual meeting with them. I want to, um, you know, I just, I want to, I want to stalk them, man. I mean, <laughs> for lack of a better term, I'm scraping as much information about this person and their livelihood as I can prior to meeting with them. And so I'm not worried about connecting you know, following is a little less intrusive, I think, than what connecting is. So if it's like an Instagram deal, I'll follow them or uh, LinkedIn. I may follow them without requesting to connect. LinkedIn, many times I'll ask to request, I'll, I'll request to connect prior to the meeting just because it's good to have these people in your network one way or the other. But for all practical purposes, my, my mission is to get information, not necessarily to connect. Gotcha. So basically, stock up until the point of Joe from the TV show, you, if you've seen that, I, don't, I, have, I have not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those listeners that have uh, watched that, they'll uh, hopefully they'll find some humor in that. So, all right. So getting back to the book. So a big no, no in your book, uh, pun intended, uh, hashtag dad joke is that you don't ask for others to step in and advocate for you because you feel it's slimy and the prospect thinks you're trying to go for the sale quickly. You also don't like it when it's done to you, which is a reason why I would never advertise on like a grocery cart or the back pharmacy, you know, bag pharmacy bag or anything like that, because I wouldn't want to, I would never do business with someone that did that. So I wouldn't want to do business or, or do that with them. So the level of consistency is amazing because I already just said this like five I know. minutes ago. It's crazy. I, I know. 
So you do advocate for checking with mutual connections about the prospect. So that's something we didn't talk about. So you find out things such as how long have they known one another? How does the prospect think? What's the best way to appeal to them? Anything specific to know about them and anything specific to avoid. So can you tell the loyal readers what was either the most helpful thing that you learned about a prospect when you made this type of call or maybe the most outrageous thing that you learned about a prospect when you talked with one of the mutual connections? Yeah, I mean, really, to be honest with you, the goal here is to figure out what I'm able to say and what I should be guarding myself from saying. It's not like I go in and I'm a whack job in an appointment, but, you know, Number one, you should never be talking about religion, sex, or politics in any sales appointment to begin with. But if I know that somebody leans to the right, it can help me make some of my business comments around a more conservatively, a fiscally conservative approach than what I would if somebody is leaning to the left. I probably want to be careful what I say so that I'm not going to offend or have anybody think what uh, negative lovely of me as a result. Um, all kinds of weird stuff, man. Most of the time. Um, so I'll tell you one. <laughs> this is a good one. I mean, when I have them, they're good, man. Um, Names change to protect the innocent. Well, the event itself is probably going to be difficult, but I don't think that the person would have any opportunity of hearing this. Um, okay. I was going to go on a new business appointment one time, and it was an industry that I had a special uh, a specialty in and a specialty program developed around. And I had written quite a few of them around town and I had not met with the owners of this particular operation prior. And so um, I called one of, one of my longstanding clients who did know them and, you know, was going to give me the, the lowdown on what was going on. He says, look, I got to tell you, just make sure that you, un he, he said, when you walk in the front door, the receptionist there only has one arm and you like, it's not like, a deformation. You need, to, you need to know the story. So apparently, the receptionist that worked at this place was the owner's daughter, and prior had worked at a zoo in Tampa. Not not the Tampa Zoo per se, but a, an area in Tampa that has wild animals. Mm -hmm. And her responsibility was to feed the lions one morning, and the lion decided that it wanted her arm as opposed to whatever it was. Oh she gosh. was trying to feed it and it took her arm. Oh my God. So when you get into outlandish things, you find out when you talk to people prior to appointments, I don't know of any that I've heard that were any more outlandish than that. Like, no, not that I would have walked in and been like, Oh my gosh, you only have one arm. What happened? Did right, a right. But I mean, just to give you a heads up and to know that that's what the backstory was is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you would probably I mean the, you know, the holiday party that you throw every year, you probably wouldn't want to have it at a zoo type area. Well, I don't want to go in and say, hey, how, how was your weekend or what are your plans? Oh, I'm thinking about taking my kids to the zoo or whatever. Right. I mean, exactly. Things like that that you don't think about, you know, and I don't think that, look, I, I'm a firm believer in people are going to do business with people that they like. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear that all the time. So I don't want people to think that I do this research and I ask these questions because I'm trying to engineer an end result and be somebody that I'm not. I'm just doing it to try and be the best version of myself that I can be and not put myself in a position where, unfortunately, my sarcastic sense of humor or something else ends up getting me in trouble. Mm -hmm. 
No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Most of the time, what I hear is very dry personality, all business. Get to the point as quick as you can, and you'll be good to go. Yeah. Well, in the book, you go on to write about doing this research on social media. You can learn about the prospect's lifestyle. So you also look up like government tax records to see what type of real estate that they own, if they pay their property taxes. And that can, again, give you an idea of the type of person that you're dealing with. And use the example, um, which is found on page 91 of the book, where if you're meeting with the CFO of a $50 million company and they live in a $180,000 home, you can tell that they live below their means and are very pragmatic about money. Now, the next section has to be a complete obvious one, but it's always a good reminder. And you've already mentioned it earlier, which is staying away from religion, sex, and politics. Um, and one thing I want to mention that uh, you wrote in the book is if the religion discussion comes up and how you sidestep that or what you say and what you write in the book is this. Yes, I am aware that our religious beliefs differ. I'm certain we have a similar moral compass that guides our thoughts. And so with that, you acknowledge the comment and you're able to move along and just proceed with the meeting. Uh, now, you finish up the chapter by writing about the types of questions to have prepared. And we don't have to go time to go through that conversation that you write about. But uh, loyal readers uh, go to page 93 and it ends on 96. But here's a 50,000 foot view um, of what that conversation basically is. So you restate a comment that the prospect has made about a specific item, and then you ask an open-ended question to them. And the beauty of this is that you've already practiced this with someone in your office. You role-play this and you have the flow chart, or if you have enough experience, you already know what's going to happen and how to respond to it. So that's basically the gist of what happened in that conversation. Now, in the extra two minutes of this chapter, you write about how you purposely arrive early to make not only an excellent impression, but also to take time to talk with the gatekeeper. So you likely have brought them coffee because you know know their order from when you did the marketing drop, or maybe now you uh, have to do some more research to be able to do that uh, post-COVID. So you ask them things about, you know, things in their life, and then you add that information into the CRM so you can reference it at a later date. But you take time to observe the lobby, see if they have their mission statement displayed, any news articles or awards so you can ask them about it. Because as the old adage goes, people love to talk about themselves. And so with that, my friend, that brings us to the end of this episode and one episode away from the end of the book. Cool. So thank you again for being a guest uh, today. Um this was a great way to get into the meat and potatoes of things. And I know that you're doing the whole 30 diet right now, so I'm not hundred percent familiar. So are you allowed to eat meat and potatoes on this diet? I can eat as much meat and potatoes as I want within reason. Within reason. <clears throat> what I can't do is put full butter, cheese, sour cream, and all of that stuff on my potato when I eat it. But yeah, we're in good shape, man. It's uh oh, good. Whole30 is pretty simple. It's just a lot of whole foods and things. It's really a 30-day detox of your body to get all of the garbage out that I've been pumping in it for God knows how long. So we're uh, we're on day 12 right now and have been 100% impeccable with our nutrition. 
Very up nice. until this point. So pretty much on the glide path going forward. Well, good. Well, good. We expect nothing less. Uh, so loyal readers, as a reminder, if you have any questions, please, please feel free to email me at josh at agency-intelligence.com. Thank you again for downloading another episode of Explain This Book to Me, where I sit down with authors, thought leaders, and visionaries to explain the book to them and have them answer questions that I have. Remember to be safe, be healthy, and love everyone. This has been Josh Lipstone with Explain This Book to Me.